Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today is David Sobel, a award-winning author who's been nominated for a Pulitzer. She's been a Guggenheim Fellow, and she has been a bestseller with a, one of her, her first book, which is called Longitude, which is quite famous and uh, subsequently done numerous more. And uh, I'm glad to have her on the podcast. I wanted to ask, first of all, about um, how you got interested in science writing, because all your books have to do with science. That's a great question for today, because it's Carl Sagan's birthday. <laughs> and I've been thinking about him and how much he had to do with my career because I attended a public lecture that he gave in the early 1970s before he was famous. And it really changed my life. I had been interested in science before that. My mother was a chemist. Uh, my father was a medical doctor. So science was talked about a lot in our high school, I mean, in our home. And then for high school, I got to attend the Bronx High School of Science, which was a fantastic opportunity and really ensured that I would stay interested in science forever after. But um, Carl Sagan's lecture was about planets of other stars and how someday we would discover those planets. No one had any inkling yet that they actually existed, but he was sure that would happen. And now, as you probably have read, there are thousands of them already known. Now people are interested in, in an inhabited one, but at least we know there are numerous solar systems throughout the universe. Your books seem to focus on individual accomplishments. Uh, Galileo's daughter is about the letters that she wrote. They're, they're very specific things, and then they wander off into tales of the, what's going on around around you. But what, what, why, why try an approach like that rather than just tell the story? It was actually much better. But what, what got you to think that up? I think you've answered the question. It makes a story much more interesting if it focuses on people. Uh, what What is the story without the people? And one of my inspirations for Galileo's daughter was learning that he had two daughters who were nuns, which really surprised me because I had been taught that he was the great enemy of the Catholic Church. So when I realized that 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 the daughters were nuns, it made me think that probably everything I'd been taught about Galileo was wrong. And that turned out to be the case. I learned that he managed to do 
everything he did in astronomy as a believing Catholic. Uh, I found that fascinating. I'm not Catholic myself. I was raised Jewish in the Bronx, but that fact really fascinated me. Also, the daughters drew my attention because I had found a letter from the daughter to that father while I was writing Longitude because Galileo was one of the people who had tried to solve the longitude problem. And the letter was so beautifully written, so evocative, that it made me want to know more about that woman. Tell, tell listeners about longitude and what, what that was all about prior, prior to, to the arrival of uh, Mr. Hamilton, Harrison. It is very difficult to figure out where you are in terms of longitude when you are out in the middle of the ocean. You can actually determine your latitude fairly easily by observing the height of the noonday sun above the horizon and also the, the height of, in the, in the northern hemisphere anyway, the height of Polaris above the horizon the North Star, that will tell you your latitude. But your longitude is a different story because, because of the rotation of the Earth. So you need a way to know what time it is in two places at once. And before Mr. Harrison invented his wonderful sea clock, there was no way to do that. What year? 1759. How did he do it? Through arduous labor over a period of decades, devising mechanisms that would work on a ship subjected to violent motions of the ship uh, that would not be affected by changes in temperature, sailing from a cold country of origin to a warm destination, and to setting standards of accuracy that exceeded anything that had been achieved before his time. Did he go out to sea himself? He went once on, on the first trial of his wonderful machine, but the sea did not agree with him, and he was quite ill the whole time. So in subsequent trials, his son carried the, in, the invention. Was the uh, machine quite small or large, or how, how did that, was it a problem getting it aboard a ship? There was a series of machines. So the first one was very large, and, and the second one, 70, 80 pounds. But having been on a ship once, he knew that it was important to downsize and to have something that would be convenient. And so he eventually wound up with something that looks like an oversized pocket watch, but it's about, uh, it's about five inches in diameter and weighs three pounds. So it's certainly small compared to the prototypes. And he was an Englishman? He was an Englishman, yes. <laughs> um, 
I have a, you wrote a book called The Planets, and something came up for me the other day, and I was thinking about it. All the planets are named by people after historical persons or gods. But I wondered two things about that, and I thought I could just ask you. Was there a reason why that was chosen to have been done like that? And the second question is, in foreign languages, are they spelled the same way as we spell them? The reason they are named for gods is that people thought they were gods. When you see them in the night sky, they're very bright and they move against the background of the stars. So they seem to have powers and their affiliations with the names of gods goes too far back in history to be documented. And that is true for the planets out to Saturn because Saturn is the last one that you can see with the naked eye. So when Uranus, Neptune, and later Pluto were discovered, they were given names of, from the Greek and Roman pantheon. And um, no, they're not the same in, in other languages, but they, they mean the same thing. So the, the Italian word for Jupiter is Giove, but it's, that's the name of the god in Italian. Tell us um, how you came to come out to uh, Springs. I think that you're still there near where I live. I came out to Springs as a, as a young wife. My, my then husband, uh, who has since died, is, uh, had a house in Springs. He had it before I met him. And so it was that, that was my introduction to the area. And then uh, our, our children were born here, went to the spring school and East Hampton High School. And I never saw a reason to leave. I'm, I'm very happy here. I love the dark sky and the, the nearness of Laos Point and Indian Wells Beach, and I, I think it's about the most beautiful place in the world. Well, painters say that if you go up past the Springs General Store on Springs Fireplace, that there's a stretch of about a mile where the sky is extraordinary, and as it relates to the uh, atmosphere. Are you, are, has anyone ever told you that because they've told me that. I have never heard that there's a specific patch of ground that gives access to a particular, particularly wonderful patch of sky, but I, I would love to know about it. Actually, the sky from my backyard is pretty great because Springs, or at least this part of Springs, has no streetlights. So it's really dark at night. And that's one of the main things you need to be able to appreciate the night sky is darkness. Do you have telescopes at your house? I, I no longer own a telescope. I, I admit to being very bad with equipment. So my appreciation of the night sky is through naked eye. 
observation. And of course, like every other citizen of this planet, I have access to the Hubble telescope. So no complaints. What are you working on now? And where, what do you expect to be doing? I have a few really fun projects right now. I, I am currently the poetry editor for Scientific American, which was an idea I suggested to them, never thinking it would come to anything, but they liked the idea and I'm just starting the third year. So the, this is original poetry that I commission that is about science. And it can be about any field of science uh, or medicine or math. And the poets are all sorts of folks. Some of them are well-known poets, a couple of Pulitzer Prize winning poets. The Poet Laureate of England contributed a poem. Uh, but some of them are high school teachers, amateurs. If, if it's a good poem and it really represents the science, then I, then I take it. Uh, I, I, I do still occasionally write for magazines. So I, at the beginning of, of the pandemic, I was asked to review a new book about women chemists. And I, I didn't recognize most of the names in this book. The book consisted of about 35 brief profiles of women chemists. So the name Marie Curie was of course familiar, but after that, uh, I hadn't heard of, I think all but one of them. And so uh, in reading that book, I was very surprised to see how many of the other women had either worked for Marie Curie or studied under her. And I thought that was a story uh, because it's, it's not commonly known that she had a direct hand in shaping the careers of about 40 women. So that's, that's my story. And the, the tentative title is At Madame Curie's Lab. Thank you for coming on the podcast. My guest has been Deva Sobel the uh, author of Longitude, which is one of my favorite books. I read that and I thought you were, was one of the greatest pieces of writing I have ever come across. And, uh, wow, Dan, you have to let me butt in and say thank you. It's a pleasure to, to be with you. Thank you and uh, see you soon. Bye.